SecondCityHockey.com Jonathan Taves. Commit to us. Commit to the jersey. Commit to our people here. Welcome into another episode of Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, and it is a Wednesday morning here in March. I've got a window open. It's gorgeous outside. And this is about the only good thing I have to talk about right now because the last few Hawks games were uh, were not as much fun. Uh, but I've got my two usual line mates with me this morning to dissect all of that. First up, it is the analytics darling of Second City Hockey, Shepard Price. Hi. I probably would have let in eight goals, so don't blame Malcolm Subban for last night. Always, always keep it up from Malcolm Subban. Never. Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, I, uh, Patrick Waugh might've got pulled last night with, uh, as poorly as the Blackhawks looked against oh. the Tuesday. It was, oh. it was not a good night. Not a good night for no. anyone. No, it was not. And also with us this evening, he is the second city hockey. What Riley Breckenridge is the thrice. It is Mill Savage. You know, it's not what the Hawks said that was so hurtful. It's how they said it. <laughs> and that's pretty much the synopsis of every fucking game. <laughs> well, man, you guys are... I feel like you guys both need to like walk outside for like five minutes, get some of the fresh air, and then come back oh. in. <laughs> oh, I'm doing this from outside. Oh, oh, all right. Well, sorry. Yeah. Hope, you got a, <laughs> hope you got a windscreen. I heard it's a little, little gusty oh. out there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, before we dive into everything, just want to let you know that you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Dave Melton mill is at mill 182 shepherd is at shepherd price. The main second city hockey account is at two ND city hockey. And you can also visit our website, secondcityhockey.com, where we've got previews, recaps, news, uh, suspension updates, not suspension updates, practice updates. Oh, and Kirby doc sightings, which apparently are a thing now, which is great. Um, and then follow, Follow along with us here on these airways. We'll have podcast episodes continuing every week. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and then follow and then rate and review all those wonderful things that you know how to do. I don't have to tell you how to do them. But what we can tell you about is the Blackhawks lost to the Dallas Stars 6-1 to one last night. And worst game of the season, I think, fair to say? Uh, they, I think they might have been worse on Sunday against Tampa Bay. They're both up there. I mean, they were at least winning three to nothing at one point in that game, though. There was never any – they were never winning in this game, and uh, they just never – it's just it, – it's like the, that Janmark one-timer was kind of like, oh, holy shit, I didn't know he could do that. Because it was from a pretty not easy angle. Oh, 
It was a terrible angle. Yeah, yeah. it was. I, yeah. I was when I saw it, I'm like I, I was watching it without the sound on, and I didn't see who scored it first. And I, I knew it wasn't Debrinket because it was a lefty. And I just like who on this team is left-handed and capable of doing that? And then uh, Jan Mark, okay, but it's like uh, ninth goal of the season. He had yeah. six last season, and he's already got at nine. Yeah, wild. Um, outside of that, though, I just don't. Uh, there's not really many good things to say about Tuesday's game. I'm trying not to write like I because they play. They usually play 82 games this year. They're playing 56. Try not to put too much stock in one game. However. Uh, and, and Mill's going to, I'm sure, touch on this for sure, but just it's it's more about it's not that they lost. It's the way they lost. That's really so discouraging. So uh, but Shepard, just your general thoughts and feelings on whatever the hell that was last night. Uh, uh, exactly. So exactly. The, that sound the number the number one statistic I'll point out is that they had they generated one point oh one expected goals for in that game, which is like probably one of their lowest, if not the lowest number they've had this season. They gave up 1.52 or 1.57 uh, to Dallas in the second period alone. Um, and those are five on five numbers, but still. And so like and the, for those like, unfamiliar yeah. with the expected goals thing, it essentially it uh, dives into the quality of the possession that your team generates over the course of a game. So. Right. And, and these are the last two games where like their worst expected goal shares, they just did not have any quality. They were not driving the puck at all. Like the Blackhawks are the last two games look really bad. Um, they need to fix that going into tomorrow's game. Uh, Cause otherwise yikes. <laughs> um, like I, I sincerely hope that Jonathan Taves meant it when he said, see you soon, bud. Um, <laughs> in that, in that video. And that's, that's been dissected. I've been being on the Blackhawks subreddit. That's been dissected. Um, oh, oh, the, the Reddit, the Reddit detectives are out in full force. Yes. I'm, I, see you soon. I don't even want to know what their conclusions are. That's <laughs> I just, I, I, I just hope he's okay to be honest. Yeah. But if he, if he could join us, if he could join, not us, the Blackhawks, uh, well, us, he could join fans. us too. That'd be cool. Yes. If he could join the fans, <laughs> uh, before the season is up, that'd be fantastic. Um, because they need somebody who can drive five on five play and Taves is really still good at that. Um, but like everything looks out of sync. The power play didn't look good. Um, I, Dominique Kubalik is okay. Uh, that's my best conclusion from yesterday because he was the only player who was nearing like near okay. Yeah. So, uh, so to recap, uh, it was all bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, what about you? Uh, I think, you know, if you look at a game, not the, uh, not Sunday, but on uh Friday when they beat Tampa Bay in, uh, in the shootout, was it? Yeah. Shootout. A lot of, there's a lot of excitement in a win like that, no matter what goes on in the game. And it's kind of like, Oh, they're doing the Jim and Pam dance. This is good. But then you get to the last two games and you're like, this is Michael Scott and Jan. This is not good. <laughs> like it's that bad. And I know it's a weird analogy, but if you, if you know the office, you'll, you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Like I said, I don't, not that I don't care that they lost, but like, I understand you're not going to win every game, especially Mm-hmm. when you're trying to build a team and you're developing young guys. But I think that when you look at the game last night, especially you, you could say, Oh, Subban didn't play great. He still had 33 saves. They just did not give him a chance. You know, they were drowning in their own end all night and they didn't make any adjustments. So I was really thinking after, you know, after the Mark goal, I was like, okay, they're in this. 
They gave up two more after a terrible offensive zone penalty by Highmore. And I thought, okay, well, maybe call the timeout here. So let's, let's slow the tempo down. Let's get a reset. And no timeout. Okay, give up another goal. I'm like, maybe time to yank Malcolm just, just for his own confidence and, you know, to, to send a message to the team to settle down. None of that. And if it was like a fire drill, six to four type of game, yeah, leave them in there. It's fine. But I mean, you, it was not, there was no adjustments attempted at all. And I don't know what that says for a lot of people, but for me, it's not good. No. Yeah. Yeah. Games usually that are that one sided, there's usually a goalie change at some point just to an, an attempt to swing the momentum or wake your team up or whatever. So it was, it was definitely surprising to see that not happen on Tuesday night. And I, I, I think what, what I've settled on is um, in terms of not putting too much stock into one game, I think ba- basically what this becomes is Thursday night's game becomes a referendum on how Tuesday's game will look in the future. If they respond Thursday, play well, and, and I probably need to win, then you can, you can say, all right, maybe that was just a blip on the radar. We're okay. And everything's going to be fine. However, if um, if they lay another egg Thursday night, then we're really going to have some issues because yeah. because now now you've like da- Dallas has been pretty bad this year. They they haven't yeah. played a ton of games. They've had a hard time finding rhythm and all that because of co- the, all their COVID issues and and everything else. So like they've not been good this year. The fact that the Hawks looks that bad against that team is not encouraging. Like in well, Shepard, you wrote in your preview about how offensively inept they've been and the Hawks just gave up six goals to it. Well, something too, going back to the last podcast, we were talking about, you know, with, with John Cooper, with Tampa, if he takes the cane line out of the game, the Hawks are going to struggle. What did Dallas do? I mean, they, that cane line couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that, they were, that, I think they drove the puck the best out of anybody. Well, you, yeah, because they're the best line. But, like, when you limit them and then you can't get any other matchup or – I mean, the, like I said, the Hawks just drowned in their own end last night. It was it was abysmal. I mean, they are essentially a one-line team. It's the Kane to Brinkett suitor line or it's basically Kane to Brinkett and whoever the center is at that time. That is their one and the, line, and that's all they got. And then, Which, uh, yeah, and then on the power play, it's just a Dominique Kubalik again. Yeah, and that's and it's fine. Like, they're – they're not going to have incredible depth this season. That's just the way because of all the injuries and everything else. That's just not, you know, if team figure out how to shut down their one line, the Hawks really don't have too much to counter. I think that's more because of the centers being out than anything. I don't think that their wingers are that bad. No, 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 no. But yeah, losing your top, well, top two and now top three centers when, uh, with Strom on the injured reserve with a concussion. So, yeah, I think the, the other interesting thing that I didn't realize until this morning is, all the websites that do the probability project, uh, projections for playoffs had the Hawks decently ahead of the Stars before Tuesday's game. Now Dallas is pulled ahead of the Hawks. Just that yeah. one win. So if for, for those of you who are kind of eyeing the playoffs, like this is the team the Blackhawks have to beat. Is mm-hmm. It's probably going to be Dallas. I don't think Columbus, uh, Detroit and Nashville are so bad that they're probably never going to get into it. Columbus might factor in there at some point but it's probably between chicago and dallas for the fourth playoff spot because the other three are going to go to carolina florida and tampa so if you're of the mindset that the hawks are going to be in the playoffs or you're really watching the playoffs these are the games they have to win and probably in regulation because you don't want to give dallas an extra point and it's funny they're playing the highlights from last night right now on uh, network and 
some, one of the big issues is the Hawks left the slot open all night last night. They really need to be better in that spot. The uh, the heat maps and natural stat trick, the area right in front of the Blackhawks net had just a giant red, a way dark red uh, thing with four Gs around it. So yeah. Ellis got to the areas where, got to the best area on the ice and scored four goals from there. So that's, yeah. uh, it's not great, Bob. Yeah, speaking of that and developing talent, was Ian Mitchell scratched last night for some reason? Because I do not he, remember seeing he him. Was, he was a healthy scratch last night. He, and, and that yeah, was, you, can't, you can't do that. Well, not this season. Yeah, you can't do that you this can. season. I think mm, you can. If you're trying to develop talent and not just win games, you've got to keep Ian well, Mitchell on the he, ice. He, he wasn't good in Tampa Bay's game on Sunday, but like, and, damn. And nobody, dude, they and got, nobody, was good. nobody was good on, two, on Tuesday. So what's the no, point no, of scratching no, no. him? I, I'm with you. I'm saying he wasn't good, but he, him and Boquist and Bode, like they're going to have those games. It's their first year, second year. Exactly. For I like, I, I don't think if you scratch Ian Mitchell for one game and let him watch in the press box, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. He's been trending downward for a while. Right. Yeah, but, but if you, watching if you scratch, last, Ian, you learn yeah, if you scratch right. If you scratch Ian Mitchell and then do that, what is he supposed to learn? What not to do? I think he knows what not to do. Well, well, no, I, I, I wasn't offended by scratching Ian Mitchell for a night at all. He's a, he's a rookie. Even, even if he's older than all the other young defensemen because he spent three years in college and did his um, – uh, he's obviously the most polished of all the defensemen they have, but he's still, he's still a rookie. So I – and it's like just because he arrived with uh, so far ahead of everybody else, he's still got a long way to go to become an everyday top four defenseman. Yes, but so he's, does he's everybody. Good. Like, I, I, I'm not. I'm not discouraged at all by he. Had, so he had a little bit of down, a little bit of a down stretch. It's going to happen. I mean, if for those that watched the Hawks in 2005 and 2006, Duncan Keith had some miserable seasons, and then he won a couple Norris trophies. So. His first two years were kind of all over the place. Yeah, yeah. It takes it takes you a while to learn how to play defense at the NHL level. So. I mean, Zadorov's going to be 26 and yes. still can't play. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, you could, you could say that all of, the, all, all of the Blackhawks defensemen, except maybe Connor Murphy, have a long way to go before being top four defensemen in the NHL. And like the funniest that I saw last night, uh, Shepard, you were talking about all the expected goals. The guy that had the, the lowest expected goal share on the Hawks was Nikita Zadorov, yet he was not on the ice for a single goal against. So despite his best efforts, he was never on the ice when Dallas scored a goal. Well, that's because uh, Quenville, God forbid, Colleton doesn't want to put him out there when they're in and, the defensive yeah. zone. Because he knows he's but, a liability. That's why he's always getting, you know, he's always in, out of position when they're in a rush is because he's throwing him out on the other end with Murphy. He's a babysitter. Yeah. So, Sorry, uh, I'm just. <laughs> no. Again, to recap, it was all bad Tuesday night. And I, I think yeah. that's, um, it just, it puts a little bit more importance on, I, I like calling a game, on March 11th, a must win seems kind of dumb, but I mean, they should, they should probably win that game just for uh, the, the overall mental health of everyone involved them and the fan base. Other, otherwise we're going to, because as we discussed many times on this podcast over the last month, the schedule gets no easier for the rest of this month after they finish up twice against the stars, then they have to go play. I believe it's Carolina next. I'm waiting for the website to load. They play Florida twice. Tampa twice in Tampa, two at home to Florida. So, although I did peek ahead to April a little bit, and uh, after you play, they have two against Carolina, one at the end of March and one on the 1st of April. 
And then after that, the the majority of the rest of April is against the bottom of the division. So if uh, if they survive March and get to April 1st and they're still in a decent spot, they should be okay. But that's, We shall um, see. Exactly. We shall see. Um, but before we go any further into the future, I wanted to quickly jump back to the three-game set against Tampa because that was hyped up for a very long time for very good reason. And – like the Hawks got three points, which was great, but like it really felt like there was an opportunity for more, especially when you get a game where you have a 3 0 lead. I don't, it doesn't matter if you're playing the defending cup champions, if you get a 3 0 lead, you should at least get a point out of that game and probably both. So the fact that they gave up six straight goals and they've now been outscored 12 to 1 in the last five periods of hockey they've played is uh, not ideal. But uh, Shepard, I'll go to you first. Uh, just what were your general takeaways from that three-game set with Tampa that was kind of uh, a the new barometer for where the Blackhawks are? That first game that they won- that they took to overtime and then lost in the final millisecond was probably the best game they've played of hockey this this uh, season, and they lost it in overtime. Um, <sighs> but that's just, what's a, yeah, that's just what's, <laughs> what's going to happen against the defending cup champions. Um, they, they looked really good for the first two games. Um, and then the first period of the third, uh, like their goaltenders kept a minute largely, but, uh, the defense was better than it was certainly Tuesday night. Uh, and they, their offense clicked enough against Mm -hmm. the, against Tampa Bay, which is a hard thing to do. Tampa Bay has not been a great possession team this season, but they're still a team that can roll out Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough and like excellent players on the blue line. Sergeyev. So they played really well and they raised expectations and then, <laughs> and then swiftly demolished those expectations. <laughs> um, so they're playing limbo really well. Uh, yeah. I, but yeah, I think like we, we talked about that being a measuring stick and I think every, everybody and in and around the Blackhawks world was talking about that. Like compared to the first two games of the season, they were light years ahead of where, they were like the three games that they played in terms of even strength, the goals were even five to five in the two yeah. games they played at the start of the season. It was eight, one Tampa. So obviously the Blackhawks are vastly improved from where they were two months ago, but I think just, and, and as you said, Shepard, that game Thursday night, like you look like the Hawks owned the possession. They owned all the scoring chances. They, they really kind of took it to Tampa in, in a way that I don't think any of us I certainly didn't expect it that much. Like it was, it was kind of stunning to see how well they played in that game. And was that the game that McElhaney played? No, that was a, he played against oh, Subban. Okay. So, and they did that against the only reason Tampa probably won that game in overtime is because they had a goalie that kept a minute, which damn, that sounds familiar. But then like, yeah. like the game, the game they ended up winning in the shootout was a game that they probably uh, was maybe their worst possession game of the season. I think it was, well, it was until the game against Dallas last night. And then the one on Sunday, like the the thing that was so encouraging about Sunday's game was that when they got that 3-0 lead, it wasn't like Kane had a secondary assist. The goals were scored by Suter. There was one by Kubelik, I believe. And I can't remember who the third one was scored by. But it was not like it wasn't the it wasn't just Patrick Kane carrying the team by himself. It was all the the young guys. And like Brandon Hagel stole the puck off Hedman and drew a penalty and the Hawks ended up scoring right after that power play expired. 
So it was all these young rookies making these contributions, all these young rookies helping the Hawks get a 3-0 lead on the defending cup champions. And then it all went to shit for mainly because the penalty kills terrible again. But I think like there think was, was, it was Kershev, by the way. Yeah. Kershev had a goal too. That's right. Yep. Um, so like it's, it's definitely there. They're definitely improved from the January games, but I think the, my main takeaway was they're definitely better than they were in January, but they still have a long way to go because you just, you can't blow three goal leads. Just can't. Mill, what well, about think, you? Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I agree with you. Like they, the Hawks weren't, they didn't play bad, especially in the first two games. It's just that they're not in Tampa's realm when Tampa decides to flip the switch. And I know a lot of people disagreed with me when I said Tampa was kind of playing with their food or they're in second gear, but you could visibly see it on your TV screen on uh, the third game. Like Tampa said, okay, enough of this. And it's not that the Hawks didn't try to play well. They just, Mm. they don't have the overall. I mean, that's that Tampa team is insane. And Mm -hmm. That's where I get concerned is the Hawks don't know how to adjust. Six unanswered goals is no team should give that up. Right. So I I think that's a a big issue for me is, okay, let's learn from that going forward, you know, and don't let it happen again. Even if you lose, just don't give up six unanswered. Yeah. Yeah. No, Tampa, like the Hawks teams of recent past, Tampa has another gear that not that very few teams can match. That's why they're the best, probably the best team in the league. Totally. And I, I said that to somebody, I said, you know, that first game, I said, the Hawks used to do that when they were like, mm-hmm. you know, winning the winning cups is they would kind of come out and oh, okay. And then we'll try to climb back in it, score a couple quick. Cause they could tilt the ice like that. And it's, again, it's not, and it's not a jab at the Hawks. It's yeah. just, they, it's, they're it's, obviously they don't have their centers. They're not there yet. Yeah. It's the reality of the situation. And it's, yeah. and, and the fact like, they got that three lead on Sunday and, and the good teams, like the, the way, like we talked about Tampa having another gear. So if you're the other team, you get that three Oh lead. Even if the other team finds another gear, you have to find a way to kind of, to snuff that out. And I think the Tampa's third period in that game was the perfect example of how you take a one goal lead and just completely stifle the opponent and prevent them from getting scoring chances, let alone goals. And the Hawks, like Tampa really just smothered the Hawks in the third period and put that game away. That's something that the Hawks haven't been able to do on many occasions this season. I think like in, in, in a relative scale, it's much easier in the NHL to get a three goal lead that or it's much easier. I think it's easier to score goals than to prevent them in the NHL on a relative scale. Like anybody can score a goal, but trying to keep the other guys from scoring is a much steeper challenge especially against a team like tampa so when the hawk like the hawks are showing that they can score goals which is something they weren't even able to do in january now that they've got the scoring part down or or more down than they had it now it's can you stop the other team from scoring when they start finding their finding their gear and that's that'll be the challenge to watch them over the final two months of the season and into next season if I can make a quick comparison, Go ahead. Um, what Tampa did to the Hawks on a, on a different scale is kind of like what the Hawks do to Detroit this year. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like, you know, we're going to, you can't hang with us. Even if we play like shit and give up a lot of shots, we're just better than you. And if you, we turn it on, you're not going to beat us. No. And what are the Hawks five and one against Detroit? Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, which is beautiful, but like, 
yeah, it's just it's just the rea- like you said, it's the reality of the situation. I don't want people to think I'm coming off like some big negative, you know, guy. It's just they they have a ways to go. Yeah, don't worry, I'm the I'm the negative guy here. Uh, <laughs> we'll see about Cause that. Because I because I, I, I look because I only look at the stats. And, uh, it's, well, it, it's trying to be know. like like I, I still maintain like cautious optimism with them. Like I still, it's it's like going back to the start of the season, like we were, I don't remember exactly what we would have said on the podcast, but I know we were discussing things in our Slack chat and wherever that like, this could get really bad. Like, especially after Taves and doc were ruled out, like the um, guy was looking at Detroit and being like, just don't be worse than Detroit, please. God, don't be worse than Detroit. And they are so much better than that. But right. It's like now, like, now that we're, you know, we're two months into the season now and, and the bar's up a little bit higher than like the bar at the start of the season was on the floor. They could not, it would have been really difficult for them to lower expectations. Um, Cause I was expecting the worst. So they're better, but there's, you know, if they're, if they're on this road trying to become a contender and being a consistent viable threat to chase the cup each season, that road is miles, miles ahead still. Well, yeah, I think they, the, they the, need, they need more than the, than a Calder in net. Yeah. And the thing that's frustrating is a lot of their shortcomings are somewhat preventable. You know, like, yeah, we're going to give them credit where credit's due. Like, you can't just replace Taves and Doc. So if you're losing mm-hmm. faceoffs, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, all your centers are out pretty much. Yeah. But but a lot of the defensive situations, and again, it, it comes back to coaching, no matter how, pe- no matter how <laughs> bad people don't want to hear it. No, but, yeah. you know, it, it, and I'm not even going to knock Colleton straight up. He's a first – this is his first couple seasons as a head coach. He's a young guy, but he's – you know, there's things that need to be done sometimes to stay in games and they haven't done it a lot of times. So it is what it is. This is where I really quickly, well, it may not be quickly, but we'll see how it goes. And this is where I I wanted to kind of play devil's advocate because I know you two have advocated for um, having a different head coach essentially. And I'm not going to tell you you're wrong because I I feel like I'm still, I'm still in the unconvinced column with Colleton that unconvinced that he's like the long-term option here. But like we talk about all these young players and they need time to develop and all that. Does a young coach get afforded that same type of thing? He, he's not a rookie anymore though. He's in his third season. He's had, he's but, had his chances. Right, and they've, right. they've never, their, their possession numbers have never gone up. They're still like bottom five in the league I, across categories. I, their their defensive system you, does not work. Look, I will give you a, a solid answer to that. If you, if you really want to hear me out, <laughs> go ahead. The fo- go so, ahead. So here's your thing. If you look at a guy like Joel Quenville, obviously he played a lot longer than Colleton did. Colleton got hurt. It's not his fault. But Colleton wasn't really anything special in the NHL. However, Quenville was a bench coach with Stanley Cup champion team. And maybe, you know, people can criticize that he didn't get it done in St. Louis, but he's like their all-time winningest coach, I'm pretty sure. Well, yeah, because when they hired Quenville initially, I was a little worried because he'd had some really, really good teams in St. Louis and in Colorado, but he couldn't win the cup. Okay. But, but the thing is they were still a good team. True. And and they were playoff teams with a guy like Colleton. He hasn't, doesn't have the NHL experience. He was coaching Rockford and there's two huge differences there that you have to understand. First of all, the AHL is a joke compared to the NHL as far as game speed and talent goes. That's just the reality of yeah, it. Because if you're that completely different game for sure. 
And Rockford doesn't, they, they don't implement the same systems because of that. So when he does try to do AHL style stuff, when he doesn't have the personnel to do it in this league, it doesn't translate. And it's frustrating to watch because they don't try to adjust. Quenville, you know, people joke about the line blunder, but he was strategic about it. He said, okay, our possession sucks. We want, he always wanted to win five on five. Special teams was just about the penalty kill. That's why their power play wasn't good and they were winning cups. We're going to beat you five on five. We're going to tilt the ice. We're going to win draws. We're going to put on shots because he was a defenseman. I mean, it's just that it's not that Colleton can't become a better coach, but what they're using doesn't translate. Yeah, that that's where and, I'm at. That's fair. And I'm I'm one of the biggest advocates for young coaches too. My favorite head coach is still Rocky Thompson, who is now the assistant head coach in San Jose, and that's because he won a Memorial Cup and then he he's uh, took an, an AHL team to the to the Calder Cup final. Oh well, yeah, but, plenty of these old guys are dolts too. Randy right. Carlo can't even use a toaster. No, <laughs> right. But I, but like after, after seeing Colleton, like again, I am personally in the club of whoever Seattle doesn't hire between Bruce Boudreau and uh, Gerard Gallant, go hire that guy. That I would, guy needs to be the next head coach I mean, of the Blackhawks. I, I'd be cool with Gallant, but I Bruce, Bruce Boudreau just like if I if like I want if I want playoff disappointment. But as much as Boudreau's an idiot in the playoffs, his teams could play defense. Yes, and they always are near the top of the lead, uh, near the top of their division in the regular season. It's greener on the, the other playoffs. side always. I get that. Mm-hmm. Like if we had Boudreaux and they they were losing, I'd be pissed off too. But I'm just saying it's like going from being spoiled for, you know, 10 years or whatever of this great defensive five on five system to like watching them do what they did the last couple of games. It's really difficult for me. <laughs> I'm being selfish, yeah. but their their defense again, their defensive system does not work. All right. Fair enough. Uh, here, I'll, 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 I'll wrap up this little portion with uh, just I'll give you a little dose of optimism. So Joe Quinville's coaching career and his uh, first three seasons with the Blues, they were uh, not not great. I'm trying to load up this page, so forgive me for one second. So the, his first three seasons, they, they did make the playoffs each time to Quinville's credit. And then but they were they started at fourth in the division and then third and then second. And then in Quinville's fourth season, they won the president's trophy. So maybe Collison will figure it out in his fourth season. Um, yeah. So there, there's, there's your dose of optimism. Maybe the fourth year is the magic one. Um, but I guess we'll see. Um, I think but, that Jeremy Collison could be a good bench coach somewhere if he's behind this power play. I'm not saying that he doesn't have attributes that help a team. Yeah. I just don't know if he's in this league five on five. You got to have a defensive system that works. It's, it's just, it's, uh, I think. I don't know if you guys mentioned this or I heard it somewhere else, but maybe he's just Ricky Renteria. That's what I said. I, no, I said, no, I think I said Ricky Renteria is going to be their next coach. Cause he's making the Chicago rounds. It's the uh, Ricky Renteria, Chicago bar crawl. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, well uh, we're going to take a quick break and then come back on the other side of timeout. And we're going to wax poetic about one of the Blackhawks young players that's turning into Probably we probably just call him a star player right in front of our eyes. So uh, come on back on the other side of this timeout. We'll talk about. It. Welcome back to Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. And as we promised before the break, wanted to talk about a young player on the Blackhawks. And I think sometimes we forget just how young he is because he's been around for so many years at this point. I mean, this is his fourth season already. Uh, but he's still just 23 years old, and it's Alex Dabrinkit. And I, I think 
the biggest thing with him is how much more well-rounded of a game he has. And I, I was thinking about this, um, like in the, the context of Patrick Kane. Now, don't think that I'm going to put the two in the same category because that's not what I'm doing here. But when Patrick Kane came to the NHL, his bread and butter was kind of just uh, playmaking. I don't, he wasn't quite as much of a goal scorer. His goal scoring rates have wildly increased as his career has gone on. When Debrinket came to the NHL, his one trick was scoring goals. But now you're seeing him be much, much more of a playmaker. You're seeing his develop, uh, his defensive game has really taken uh, miles forward. Uh, some of his back checks and stick lifts are sometimes kind of look like a little Marion Hosa, a little bit, which is high praise, I know, but. That's kind of what it looks like because he does it so so adeptly and so smoothly. So um, this season, in uh, the 23 games he's played, he's got 14 goals and 14 assists, 28 points. If you project that out over 82 games, that's a pace of 99.8 points. So we're going to call it a 100-point pace, which is uh, pretty damn good for a second-round pick that was a, quote, novelty act. Uh, so Mill, Shepard, either one of you guys, um, let's just talk about how great Alex Dabrinkit is for a little bit. He's the he's one of the top players in the league by Gar and expected Gar, uh, which put as much weight into that as you want. But he's like he's he, like you said he's really well rounded. Like his his power play is good this season. His defense, uh, even strength, is good this season. I wouldn't mind seeing him on the penalty kill, which is not say something I say I say lightly because the, the forwards they have there, besides Carpenter, are not great, but they they're there for a reason. I don't um, know if he's big enough to block shots though. <laughs> I don't know if he needs to. If he's if he's if he's getting takeaways and like doing things at the blue line that like you do a diamond formation and he's the guy at the blue line, I think that's perfectly fine. Um they he's really, really good this season. Uh I was a person who put a lot of emphasis into how bad his last season was, but that was only because of his like steep drop off in shooting percentage. Um he was at eight point seven yeah. last season, he's at seventeen seven this season. So Yeah. Everybody has uh, that kind of stinker year once mm-hmm. in a while with shooting percentage. Yeah. Yep. The, the fact that it didn't rebound in the playoffs is what threw me off too, I think, a little bit. Well, no. Well, I thought – see, I thought in the playoffs is where you started to see, like, he found other ways to contribute. Like, yeah, he, exactly. One game where he, he had two primary assists, and they were really, really impressive plays. He became a really good playmaker in the playoffs, but he still was not the goal scorer he was. Now he's back to that. Um, he's, he's, what, like fourth, fifth in goals scored this season? Um, he's up there uh, he, on the team. No, on in the league. Like, he's up there in the league. Yeah. Uh, you you keep talking because I'm I'm gonna look that up because he like again he's just like every part of his game that he is playing right now. Uh, like the one standout again, I would like to see is is shorthanded play is good. He's made up for the absence of players like Jonathan Taves, uh, and he's doing it. He's looking at <laughs> least looking like a Brandon Sadu score. <laughs> Um, which is uh, about as high praise as I can give somebody because I'll Brandon a, Sod so much. A Brandon Sod score? A Brandon Sod who can score. Okay. That's okay. Because <laughs> like yeah. that's I remember like with Brandon Sod was if he had anybody if he had better hands, he'd score 40, 50 goals a season because but exactly. he just, like he could never finish around the net. Right. And that's who Brand that's who Alex Brinkett is now. Is that that is the Brandon Sod who had better hands. Um, Brinkett is fourth in the league with 14 goals. He's behind yeah. uh, McDavid and Tyler Toffoli has 15 goals. This Mc, McDavid has like 56 goals right now. Oh, uh, McDavid is 15. Austin Matthews is 20. Eesh. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 North, the North does not play goal. Well, um, the, uh, but yeah, he's just, it's, 
everything he's done, everything he's doing right now is impressive. Yeah. Mill, uh, you want to yeah. join, join the blanket yeah. party here? Sure. So when Kane kind of got implemented into the league, I was hoping Quenville would Madonna him and make him a two-way guy because of how talented he is. And that clearly didn't happen. Um, and then when Panarin came and we saw what he was, I go, wow, this guy can move. He's great hands, got a lot of ass. Maybe he'll be that kind of guy. And as much as people love Panarin, it's pretty true that he's mostly an offensive toy. You know what I mean? He mm-hmm. doesn't he doesn't like to do the stuff that Debrinket is starting to do. You won't see but him the, on the PK in New York, probably. Hell no. Um, you know, Broadway, uh, Broadway, uh, Artemi is basically a Pavel Bure, you know, type guy, but it, it's so perfect that he's in New York too, for <laughs> if he's not a Hawk. I mean, that's just a totally team that would sign him. But, uh, when you look, and I'm not cutting him down, but it's just Debrinket is going into that host of territory where he's like, I can score. I'm getting, you know, I'm a better skater. Now I have the hands, but, I'm going to back check. I'm going to have takeaways. I'm quick. You know, he's playing really great in all three zones. He's, uh, it's really fun to watch. It's just going to be more fun probably when they have a complete center depth, um, because they'll be able to tilt the ice a little bit more for that line. Cause they don't really need a good, like a great center with Kane because Kane is basically a center who can't do a lot of center things, but does it all on the wing. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, Kane's a really unique player. Um, yes. And nobody was doing that kind of stuff until they started, you know, guys who watched him started coming into the league. But uh, yeah, I, it's very exciting. I love when guys can play that well in all three zones. So I'm going to take it and run with it. Yeah. And, and the good news, if you're looking at it from a financial perspective, is he's, he's locked up for this season and the next two at 6.4 million. And then he, he, he's a restricted free agent in 2023, which at is 25. Same, yeah. <laughs> And it's the same year that the Taz and Kane contracts expire. So maybe, maybe Taz and Kane's salary cap hits come down. Debrinkets can go up a little bit. Even if he, if he continues playing like this, his next deal is probably going to be more than six point four million, and that's not a bad thing. That you have to reward a player for being good. Um, I like the the crazy thing for me is what I said at the start is he's only twenty three. Like if he can continue on this upward trajectory for another three to four more years, imagine what he's going to be like at 27, 28, like, um, and you know, what's encouraging too, Dave, you were tweeting about it is that ESPN deal might help the cap down the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That too. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's so it's, it's been very fun to watch him, uh, rebound from last season and then just turn into a whole other thing. And, you know, if, if Kane can keep doing what Kane's doing, you look at like, if you have Kane and Debrinkin on your top line for the next three to four years and you can build around the rest of the team, like there's very few teams that can match that would be able to match that lethal of an offensive uh, of a top line. I mean, and top scoring, top scoring line, top scoring Taves line, probably, yeah. Taves probably returns to the first line. Yeah. I, but yeah, yeah, I yeah. But they tilt the ice like that. You could perfect. put, I feel like you could put mo like any roughly competent NHL center in between those two and it'll be fine. Just oh, like, it's gonna be it's gonna be Kirby Doc and it'll explode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I'm like when when the Hawks need to load up and get a goal, it'll be Doc Kane and Debrinket. Um, Bombs away. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I think the other thing with Debrinket and like going back to the the Panarin comparison, like I think early on in Debrinket's career, I think we thought he was kind of maybe not dependent on other players, but he certainly um. Well, like, creating a shot, right? Yeah, yeah. Like he, he couldn't get to forty goals without having someone that can get him the puck consistently. And I think, like with Panarin, when he first arrived, the thought was, all right, maybe he's only good because he's playing with Patrick Kane. Since he's gone to Columbus and New York and put up even bigger numbers, 
um, he's proven that that was not true. And I, I think like you can start to approach that territory a little bit with Debrinket, where even if for at some point they decide to split up Debrinket and Kane, Debrinket still might produce at or near this level. Maybe not, maybe not reach, um, you know, obviously with Kane on his opposite wing, they're going to maximize each other's scoring potential. But I feel like Debrinket might get to the point where he can be the focal point of a line the way Kane's been for the last decade. But having them together is obviously ideal. They'll need him to because Kane will eventually retire. Yeah. I don't know. He might he might just play hockey for he might have another thousand games. He said he he said like last night he 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 wants to play as long as uh, the Brinkett plays, which means he'll be forty nine if the Brinkett plays till he's forty. Jesus. So, so he's gonna is, be Yager. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, hey, Kane's in good shape. Yeah, and he he does he did significantly alter his workout regimen in the last few years. And he, it's, he, he maintains that it's like taken five years off, off his legs. And now he's, he's playing like he's in his 20s still. So um, it's, it's fun to see a, a second round pick that the Blackhawks drafted turn into something more because so many of the guys that the Blackhawks drafted in the first and second round over the last decade, you got like a little bit of excitement about them and then something went wrong or they got uh, traded. traded. Like I'm, I was, like Debrinket's like the I was trying to think of the guy before him that the Blackhawks drafted and gave a contract to after their entry level deal. And I don't think I, I can't think of the one before him. Uh, no, no, they traded Table before I believe yeah. before they signed him to a second deal. So Table was a 2012 draft pick, right? Yeah. So 11. I mean, who probably Andrew Shaw. It might be Andrew Shaw. Yeah. And Andrew yeah. Shaw was that that tells you how long Spencer the Blackhawks drafted in or, one or Sod, probably Sod. Sod. That's true. Okay. Sod was the next. Yeah. Sod was because that, that first year when he was only like eighteen or nineteen, he only played a couple games, but he they he was an early or a second round pick, I think. Yeah. And they drafted Sod one in twenty eleven. So I think he and Shaw were in the same draft class too. Yeah, that's actually probably true. Mm-hmm. So um so yeah. Well, actually, the contract that Saad got was signed in Columbus after they traded him. Uh, okay, that's fair. But that was so a, Shaw. That was that so was Shaw. So Andrew Shaw was the last situation. guy. If, if we're reading this correctly, the last guy the Blackhawks drafted and gave a con- a second contract to was Andrew freaking Shaw. So that's how we got Marco Dano in that trade. <laughs> Let's. You, by the way, uh, somebody mentioned to this mentioned this to me on Twitter, and I didn't realize it. Uh, do you, so you remember the Ryan Hartman trade a couple years ago? Yeah. yeah. Do you know, uh, so the Hawks got a first and a fourth in 2018 for that. Do you know who they picked with those two picks? Bodan. Bodan is one. And Kurashev. Brett, uh, very, very well done, Shepard. It was Bodan and Kurashev. So the Blackhawks turned Ryan Hartman into Nicholas Bodan and Philip Kurashev. So, uh, I guess we can put that feather in Stan Bowman's cap because that was that, that's looking pretty good in hindsight. You guys know the Pittsburgh home opener where they won ten to one. Oh, good times! I, I went to that game and I'm pretty sure Hartman had five fucking points and people were in the stands were like, "Oh my god, he's gonna be so good!" And that was the last time he had a point, I think. <laughs> so good trade. Yeah, absolutely. That's and I'm yeah. sell, selling high right there. Isn't he in Minnesota now? He went Nashville, Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I, he. I feel like he's like hockey nomad now. Speaking of Yager, like he's just on a different team every year. So that's always weirdly in the central and like the like traditional central, like really boring. 
teams, you know? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we've officially gone off the rails. So uh, I think we can, uh, I forgot to list, solicit anybody for questions this week. So I'm sure all five of our listeners are going to be disappointed. Um, but we'll have to do that next week instead. So uh, Shepard, believe it's your turn. Let's get a food take and then let's get the hell out of here. All food, if cooked properly, is good. All food? All food. Uh, like you can all, mash potatoes? All, yes. All <laughs> ingredients, all ingredients if cooked the right way are good. Ooh. I think it depends on your palate for some stuff, though. Well, and give me an example. Well, like, some people just don't like the taste of certain foods, no matter how you cook them. It might be the texture, even. Yeah, but you can you can sort of it's weird to say you can, kind of remove, you can remove texture when with with different methods of cooking. No, no, I get what you're saying because like I manipulate food all the time since I don't eat meat. I cook stuff like meat. You yeah. know what I mean to to taste. But I think like it, also there's like a mental block. Like some people just will never try certain things ever again after having a bad experience. That was me with tomatoes for the longest time, and then I something uh, like putting them in like grilling tomatoes and then putting it in like a taco. Perfect. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find a counter to this, uh, this statement of yours, but I really, I don't have anything. Well, all the counter food, the, the, maybe. Cause like, I don't yes. want to eat dog food, no matter how you cook it. <laughs> well, that's not food. That's well, that's not well, it is food. It is technically edible. So you have, so you, do you have to make it the, add the caveat of human food? Is that what it is? I guess well, so. like, I, I'm just saying, like, anything can really be food as long as it won't kill you. Yeah. But, like, the, the <laughs> counter is non-toxic. durian. The, the counter is durian, which is, like, uh, I believe it's from Asia, uh, a fruit that just stinks. And, and, like, that's, like, the main component of it is the odor it emits. It's um, the right part of fruit. Yes, but even that is, uh, you can put, <laughs> I'm sure you can put that in a smoothie and it'll work. Just right. add some agave in there and you're good to go. Um, I'm, I'm really, I'm trying to find like a counter that like, like I want to say like, like certain styles of pizza that are not good, but that's, uh, that's just, that's a cooking error as you, yes, were saying, so. that's, the, that's, that's the cooking error or, not, or you put too it. much friggin' ranch food. on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be, that might be the counter is ranch. Make ranch yeah. good. Even that is again, carrots and celery. And honestly, yeah, celery and cream cheese is better, I think. There's some pizza that, like, isn't really that good, but it's, like, pizza's one of those things where it's, like, even if it's shitty pizza, it's usually fine. Yeah. Like, it's still pizza, especially, like, if you're having a beer or something, you're like, ah, we need some shitty frozen pizza or some bar pizza or whatever. It's fine. But, like, when you're, like, you know, judging pizza on how gourmet it is, it's, like, it's still just bread, tomato, and cheese for the general, you know, it's, like, whatever, but... I don't know. People go. We can go on that train forever. Yeah. Some people uh, put like salmon on pizza. Just a wild. Thing. What the? All right. I, I, I would try that. <sighs> go ahead. I would know. Yeah. Would, no, I, yeah you, you, you let me know how that is. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I started experimenting with different sauces instead of like just traditional like tomato sauce. So then you have this whole new world of like, okay, what's going with the bread and the cheese? Well, see, I mean, this this is going to venture into a different sort of food take. But if you get, I, I I'm really starting to think that if you go with sauces other than tomato sauces, then what you have is a flatbread. You do not have pizza. Yes, I I agree with that take. That's not pizza. Pizza involves necessarily pizza's, yeah, pizza's sauce. red sauce. I I feel yep. like it is tomato based. Well, sauce. okay, but 
I like I'll do uh, like a buffalo sauce instead. Yeah, but that's flatbread. Yeah, it's a flatbread. Okay, so what's the difference between flatbread and pizza? Is just the sauce. It's still the same. Tomato, tomato, tomato sauce. Yeah, yeah you, you just explained it. <laughs> okay, there, but there if uh, okay, but if that's not pizza, but flat pizza is still a flatbread, correct? Pizza is a flatbread, but a flatbread is not necessarily a pizza. Right. So like it's like and squares. Yeah. So it's like you can have like a BLT or a burger, and they're not the same type of sandwich, but they're both sandwiches. Yeah. So it's is like a dog, is a hot is, which leads to is a hot dog sandwich. Is a hot dog sandwich. I'm starting to ask the question: Is hot dog real meat? <laughs> I don't some, think you want to know the answer to that question. Some, some companies, companies. Hebrew National. I've eaten a bunch of meat. like the vegan hot dogs and vegetarian hot dogs, and most of the time they pretty much just taste the same. Like that's the one thing where you don't really have to alter how you cook it. I feel like hot yeah. dog is like a, it's like a flavor, like bacon. <laughs> to some to some degree, it is hot dog yeah. flavored water. Hot dog flavored water. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, uh, how do you right. cook that so that's good? Yeah, how do you that's, cook it? <laughs> we, we're, we're well, done. Chicago style, no ketchup. That's it. This this is over. We we when we get into a limp biscuit reference, that's the end of the show. Hell yeah. <laughs> PA plays Limp Biscuit on the next bingo card, and if you get that, you win. You win the jackpot. I saw. I saw, uh, and it was around Halloween 2019. I saw the Wonder Years in Chicago. I, w- they, I was at that when they they dressed up as they Limp played Biscuit, Limp Biscuit. Yeah, and that was that like that was one of the most fun shows I've ever been to because it was that that the Wonder Years like have a very wide age range on their fans, and anybody under the age of 25 had no idea what was going on. But the the older people in the crowd, such as myself and probably you, Mill, were like just losing our shit because it's like even if you hated Limp Biscuit, you know the songs because they well, were everywhere. I've probably seen the Wonder Years twenty times, and I don't really care for them that much. But when they played Limp Biscuit, okay. I had a great time. Yeah, that was that was a blast. And, and I'm not exaggerating. That's how often I'm at shows. <laughs> It's really bad. It's like Hawks games. I have no right. life. Well, uh, all right. Well, we can we'll talk about Limp Biscuit next episode. Yes, sir. Uh, so thank you very much for listening to this episode of Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. Um, I am at underscore Dave Melton on Twitter. Mill is at Mill182. Shepard is at Shepard Price. Uh, the main account, 2ND City Hockey. And secondcityhockey.com is where you can find all of our content. Uh, follow along with our podcast, rate, review, subscribe, all those wonderful things. Um, come back next week. I'm sure we'll have more. I I'm t- I'm imagine there's deep dish episodes coming down the pipeline at some point. And uh, yeah, we just, we got a lot of stuff going on. It's the middle of a hockey season and it's fun. So uh, uh, follow along with us for whatever this ride goes next. Thanks again for listening. For Mill, for Shepard, I'm Dave. And as always, go Hawks.